In this episode of A Side of Data, I interview Sebastian Van Zelst about his experience of building a PM for Python library for process mining. I'm Anton Yeshenko and welcome to A Side of Data, a podcast about unconventional side of data science. Today's episode of A Side of Data, I interview Sebastian Van Zelst, a computer science researcher at Fraunhofer Institute of Applied Information Technology and RWTH Aachen University. He is interested in process mining field and especially in interactive process discovery and predictive process monitoring. He is a founder of PM4Py and PM4Nime open source process mining libraries. He also contributes to other projects such as Prom and Rapid Prom. Yeah, welcome to the show, Sebastian. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining in this time. And yeah, <laughs> yeah it, I'm very excited to talk to you because uh, actually at my university I also teach Python and I'm was always wondering before this library, the library PM4Py appeared, I was wo- always wondering why it's not there yet. That's the first question I always ask myself. And um, second is, how should I uh, how should I process event logs from for process mining in Python when there is no libraries? But yeah, eventually it appeared and made me very happy. Uh, <laughs> so I wanted to ask, uh, how you come up with uh, with, the, with this project and how like how it started and what were your aims and um, yeah just the story behind okay um, yeah so uh, about the history of pm 4 pi I have to go back to the time when I uh, did my PhD uh, which I did in Eindhoven uh, when uh, Professor van der Aalst was still there because he was my uh, promoter and um, as you might know at those days, uh, so I started doing my PhD in early 2014, and those days, uh, the only way if you were programming something for process mining was in the PROM framework, or you had to hack something yourself. Um, and uh, we started noticing back in the day that uh, when we want to publish our work, uh, that the reviewers more and more ask about um, quantitative uh, experiments, uh, large-scale experimentation. So if you look at these early-day process mining papers, in some cases, you know, there's this new discovery algorithm. They just apply it on one log. They get a, something that resembles a Petri net out of it, and or it is a Petri net. Um, and then uh, everyone is happy. But you saw a bit later, uh, so when, when we started at the time uh, doing our PhD that, that this was not sufficient anymore as the evaluation um, and doing uh, large scale experiments in uh, PROM is extremely uh, cumbersome because it's, it's uh, primarily a manual endeavor so if you want to assess like uh, impact of a parameter it's simply mm-hmm. infeasible to do that manually um, so at the time, we uh, also extended the work of a colleague that started this uh, Rapid Prom extension of Rapid Miner that um, basically ported the Prom algorithms to Rapid Miner, uh, which allows you to do these large-scale experiments. But if you want to uh, test a new algorithm in that ecosystem, it's uh, 
it is simply um, again is is horrendous. So it's not extend ex- extendable. So I was not the only one back in the day thinking, hey, uh, it would be nice to uh, write something in Python because a lot of these data science algorithms are also primarily written in Python these days. Uh, and we're also not the first to write a uh, Python library for uh, for process mining. There's a library uh, written by Joseph Komona, who you've interviewed before. Uh, he's written the PM Lab. Um, uh, yeah, library, and I think um, the main reason why that didn't pick off uh, as, as much as, as uh, PM4Py is that I think their focus was a bit different. Uh, I don't think they had a lot of support for importing event data from different sources, also didn't implement the most common algorithms, um, which which we do in PM4Py. Um, and I think that's that's the main difference. But that's a bit of the background, actually. So it's, uh, we wanted to have a library that allowed us to do quick, rapid prototyping and also allowed us to uh, do uh, large, large-scale experiments much faster uh, than we did in, in PROM. And uh, did you need, like, because uh, you mentioned PROM and you mentioned rapid PROM, and as I know, this, uh, these uh, frameworks are implemented in primarily in java right uh yeah yeah that's correct so uh and they, they why, are... why why not uh, making some framework in java that is uh, more extensible and why, why port in everything because i, I guess you'd, you you needed to re-implement all these algorithms to python um well there were a few argu- arguments for that so one of the arguments was that um at there's, there was this hype around um, deep learning and all these neural network-based approaches, and we saw a lot of the um, the uh, the implementations of these things were in in in, in Python. That was one argument. Uh, an ar- other argument is that um, I think for rapid prototyping type of, of projects. Um, languages like Python lend themselves just yeah better for for this type of work i mean in java is purely object based so you just have a lot of overhead when you just want to create a quick you know script uh, to quickly test something so i think those were the main yeah those are the main motivations is on one end um, connection i mean for example if you i think if you look at the paper of uh, nick tux about uh, he was one of the first where he was using uh, deep learning for predictive monitoring I think he, for that paper, didn't really use PROM back in the day. So I think for his experiments, he just wrote this very, is my guess, you should ask him, but I think he, he never... Yeah, I worked with that, uh, with that code exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that he never actually used PROM, but he just, uh, you know, hacked something in, in Python to get, to be able to use those uh, libraries. So those were the main, I would say the main motivations to, to, to start this project. Yeah, I think the the most useful out of for me out of all these is uh, actually export uh, importers and exporters, because I also use for my projects that uh, to import XCS. It's very good, and very useful. And uh, like, can you maybe uh, expand what it grew until like until what uh, what do you have now? What what is there in the library? Because I also know that there are attempts to uh, extend this library. For example, even Telegram bot, I know, using uh, PM4Py. 
uh, and these kind of things so yeah how could you comment um yeah sure so uh um when i started it i started it roughly in the middle of 2018 um i personally focused a bit mostly on some some core designs in within the algorithm like uh event logs um uh, one of the things, for example, that we do differently from uh, from Prom, which I think is beneficial, is that in Prom, um, the event log objects that you import actually mimic the storage format, this uh, XCS uh, format. And in, in, in PIM4Py, we don't. So when, when something is specified as being an integer, we actually cast it to a raw integer, which, which kind of is, is memory efficient. But I, I focused on that. I implemented the alpha minor, um, implemented alignments, uh, and then uh, one of my colleagues uh, joined the team. He got extremely excited. Uh, he's a software engineer in uh, yeah both in Fraunhofer and also in AWS like me. And he yeah he just went uh, went crazy. Uh, sometimes I had to hold him back a bit, uh, but I think definitely that explains. Um, relatively that that it grew quite fast and to be honest it grew s faster than we imagined and sometimes even wanted because sometimes we were like okay we actually want to test this a bit better um but yeah i, I don't know i think at the, at the, this point in time there's 120,000 downloads as far as i can check uh but it includes updates so uh, I guess the number of active users is is uh, lower, uh, but but it, it it got into a stage where I have no idea who is using it, but I get from time to time emails from people all over the world with with questions uh, regarding all kinds of parts of the the code, and um, sometimes uh, they say, "Hey, there's a bug here," or so it, it's being fairly actively used. But the fact that Telegram bots are, are also <laughs> using it was actually not. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even know it. Yeah, I can. I can send you later. <laughs> also, I can. Yeah, I'm very to interested to see about that. <laughs> yeah, but that's kind of yeah. So it 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 grew very fast, and um, yeah, I think for a lot of people that that want to you know build their own stuff and just actually need to work on top of an event log whether it's a csv file or it's a access file for that matter it doesn't matter so much i think it's, it's it's a very i do it myself as well when i in my spare time if i can write a paper myself i i quickly write some uh, scripts where i'm just testing the algorithms um myself um so yeah as i said it, it grew uh, much faster than we anticipated um, so it started a bit as this sort of side project that, uh, well, I believe that it could have some potential, but uh, I remember very well that I wasn't allowed by my, uh, my boss to spend too much time on it in the beginning. Like, uh, you know, it's a nice side project and uh, let's see how it goes. But, uh, yeah, it grew very, very fast and, uh, yeah, I, I just don't know how many people use it. Um, now I wanted to discuss a little bit that there are basically we can categorize the process mining tools now in several buckets. So now we have this programming based uh, that you can just include as a library that is PM4Py. Then there are these standalone versions like Prom and Apromore. And then there are these closed uh, versions like Salonius, Disco. And um, 
maybe you can somehow discuss what are the advantages of using either of these because i think for example now maybe um like some people using disco for everything i i know those people that they just use maybe there are some new advantages out of these new tools that uh, will make people switch and actually use for free stuff maybe or like yeah what, what do you say yeah it's a very good question actually um i think um so this to be honest we're also building uh like apromore and prom we're also building a front end on top uh of pm4py this is not an open project um but it has the same so that falls into the same category of of, of prom and apromore although it will be closed source but it's just to be able to do industry focused projects uh, research projects um but if i would categorize so those three uh things um let's start off with i would say this commercial uh, tools so on the one hand i think as researchers we we should be extremely grateful that that disco salonis process called minute all these guys i mean i cannot name all of them it's just too much but that the because of this success now we're um, we're all working in a vibrant field with the real application domain um at the same time i think if you look at the commercial tools the advantages are for sure that most of them will be very scalable um support will be is great i mean in pm4py it's just a bunch of researchers and students checking a mailbox of course when you when you when you you know you you have a so commercial solution all these these aspects are better uh, to some degree i think if uh, within a company uh, one wants to create process awareness those tools are great um, because i think when you look at this typical process maps that they create which are essentially these directly follows graphs where where you know you connect uh, two nodes uh, which represent activities if if one is followed by the other i think they are they are great if you want to get an understanding of of, of what's going on to get an understanding of the uh, let's say binary control flow in the sense that you can see okay uh, this is directly followed by that and it probably shows you heaps of, of connections you didn't expect so um, you know when you want to improve your process and you want to do that on the basis of data that can definitely help um, where I think that these uh, tools get a bit dangerous and problematic is when you effectively want to improve your process and you you base your your improvement um, criteria on these process maps uh, I've been in in uh, so f for my work we're not only developing uh, I'm a researcher and we have a lot of industry contact it's what I really like because you, you see the real world and uh, it also happens that we do a sort of uh, consulting type of projects for companies but we really try to apply advanced process mining stuff and uh, but it often um, is the case that when you go to a company where they use a commercial solution um, they first show you this process map which is a complete they call it the spaghetti monster and then um, but they say this is chaos this is not what we want they start filtering the view so they just remove more infrequent connections until they get this nice almost sequential path and they say this is what we want and i think the danger is that uh, these maps are just inherently not very good at showing concurrency 
and I, I think the danger is that um, uh, when you so when you apply those those tools, you have to be aware of this. Like it's great to start understanding, hey, this activity uh, check this thing was followed following this other activity, and that should never be the case. Or you can find out that this connection was extremely slow and you did not expect that and you can investigate. And that's the level at which you can improve your process. But to give you an example, I have a student that modeled the pit stops of Formula One cars um, and then started generating large event logs out of that and pushed it in these commercial, all these commercial tools. And in all the cases you see, basically if you look at those models and if you give that to someone that just looks at the picture, they would say, oh, this is a very complex, very unstructured, horrendous process, where in fact he's modeling one of the best optimized processes in the world you can think of. Uh, so that's what I would say for the commercial side is great support, great to get understanding of the process, but be aware that changing effectively the scheduling of certain activities is very dangerous. Then if you look to, um, I would say, the more... Um, this other layer yeah this what more. you meant uh, with this uh, commercial tools is that uh, they made some uh, like most of the tools made some trade-offs to make uh, the tools scalable and that's why you should be aware that they are not so precise uh, a lot of the times yeah i right? think it, partly it's scalability i think also mm -hmm. if 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 i'm honest when i look at the models that are generated by inductive miner on the average data set the inductive miners state-of-the-art uh discovery algorithm, I personally think that uh, those are greatly underfitting usually um, with a lot of these uh, loops that basically s say, okay, uh, you can do this activity effectively anywhere you want. Um, so I think it's, it's also a bit that, that the discovery algorithms that are there in industry are, are you know, it's garbage in, garbage out. Um, so the inductive miner also um, causes sometimes problems. Um, yeah, and so what, when, when we, for example, when we uh, apply PROM, and, and in that matter, the, the APROMORA as well, um, we typically, uh, it's more that we seek interaction with the data and with the process owner, right? So um, we first inspect, okay, what are the most common variants? Then we start saying, okay, without having too much domain knowledge, this trace doesn't really make sense uh, at all. Um, and then we try to talk with the process owner saying, hey, we have observed this uh, specific uh, trace and we find it extremely uh, weird that it's there. Does it make sense? And then if the process owner says, yeah, you're right, try, we try to filter out traces that, that are like that or have a common pattern. So it's uh, when we use these tools um, in an applied setting, we typically look at like this variant explorer, the dotted chart, all these fairly simple visualizations as a sort of a filtering mean, explorative uh, sort of means. And then it can be that if, if based on this, we see certain patterns that, that should not be there, then we resort back to PM4Py to, to load the data, write a little script that fetches exactly, the, or that filters those traces that, that met, meet the criteria. We push it back into PROM or, or, or in any of that type of tool, and then we continue the analysis. Maybe we apply label splitting to end up with you know, models that are uh, Petrinet-based models that are aware of concurrency, that accurately 
reflect the process as it as it should be. So, and I would say that's also where the uh, where the, the the division is between this PM for Pi or Poupar for that matter, and and uh, and and uh, Prom and Apomore is that this more, I think, this interactive thing that still you need if you really analyze data is is much better, of course, in those tools compared to um, to the scripting. But it's definitely like an interplay of of, of several tools when we when we effectively apply analysis of data for for companies yeah so now i wanted to ask a few more questions a little bit deeper into the library and um, the question is how challenging were you actually to build it and after like now if you look back at the library itself how easy is it to actually integrate into the flow of the data analysis with python because i mean you can use your library you can set up parameters you can import do something export but is it easy also to use it with um, some algorithm like clustering that is already in some libraries in python like how does that integrate uh good good question so uh with respect to the first part so uh, for me implementing uh the algorithms um, was not is is not such a big challenge. Uh, specifically, like alignments. Although I have to say, performance is uh, really bad still. Uh, it's something we haven't really uh, focused our attention on so much. We just did a implementation that at least can compute alignments. Think we can definitely improve, and at some point will. But for alignments, I was. Um, due to some of my research quite aware uh, of, of what's going on under the hood uh, also because my uh, co-promoter or actually second promoter uh, was uh, Boudewijn van Dongen who co-wrote the book with uh, Joseph Komona about uh, conformance checking and I think his current main interest is, is making alignments lightning fast so I knew a lot about and still know a lot about how to compute alignments um, for alpha minor and stuff like that, it's all not so difficult. Of course, when it comes to more uh, Pathinet theoretical stuff, like like uh, deciding whether workflow nets are sound, um, well, I personally then I, I use the work students to to implement that, and it, it's very nice for them. It's a challenge because they have to dive sometimes into PhD theses. And, and then and then start to read about this 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 Petronet theory. Um, when it comes to uh, connections to um, to other libraries, um, I try to push because of course I'm not the only one um, developing. I mean I'm primarily leading the development and trying to set out the course here and there. But uh, I try to push. Um, as much as I can to not reinvent the wheel and to implement it in such way that uh, we can actually connect to other libraries. So recently we've re-implemented the decision point analysis and there the goal is basically, okay, you have this event log and you have a, a process model and then each place that can, uh, represent, can, can represent a choice will in the end lead to just a data frame, a pandas data frame. So you get a mapping of places to pandas data frames which you can then push into you know virtually any 
uh, any library. And also what is lesser known, because I have to say that uh, documentation that we have at our new website, but even also at the older website, contains just a fraction of what's really in the library. And this is also on purpose because everything that's not in the documentation is still something that in some cases we want to test more thoroughly. But a lot of the algorithms are actually supporting data frames as well. So, um, because usually when we have a certain algorithm uh, within this access point, we, we check what type is it and then we automatically convert it if needed to the type that this algorithm needs. Um, so on that end, we try to also be, you know, very supportive in connecting to other stuff. But I also think that, a, in my view, the library should just primarily focus on process mining uh, related algorithms and, and like decision, decision point analysis. I think we just need to shape the data into a form that you can feed it into, um, into other libraries. So I personally don't think that it makes sense that we implement one specific decision, uh, a decision tree or a neural network there. I think that's something that in the end, the end user should then, uh, connect those dots, uh, him or herself. Um, but yeah, sometimes um, this is also not so easy to decide where, yeah, where you put that line. Uh, so I've had some discussions with other uh, developers that I said, okay, why did you implement this this filter where it's just a lambda function? You know, why why would we provide that functionality? And then, but yeah, for both there's something to say. And you mentioned about this project that you're making as a front end of the of this library. Do you do you, are you aware of any other projects that are already um, using under the hood uh, the PM for Phi? Um, yeah, so um, it's really difficult to say. So uh, there, uh, I'm in contact with a research group that is primarily interested in um, providing uh, streaming analysis uh, for concept drift, and they are now thinking of. Um, writing a sort of PM4Py dash streaming on top um, and that would become kind of a partner structure so we're still kind of looking a bit depends also on how they want to do it um, to some degree um, when companies want to uh, exploit it commercially or want to build on top technically speaking they can only do that if they are either also uh, opening up their source code in under GPL, or if they uh, they contact us and say, "Look, we want to do this," and then we can relicense it for them um, for a small cost that we use to cover, uh, you know, paying students to to do work. Um, I've been in a situation where we have tried to set up such an agreement with a company took a very long time and in the end it uh, on the legal uh, discussion it uh, got kind of rejected so that 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 was uh, too bad but is it possible to relicense i thought that if you open it then you cannot close it anymore no it's uh, the thing is um, you're of course you have the ownership of the code um, it, but if you decide to share it with someone or the world you can decide how you share it so the, the license only holds on the fact that you share it. What would be problematic is if we use, if we use GPL libraries, uh, 
on which we build on top, then of course we cannot close it off. So there are some uh, libraries that we use, uh, like CVXopt, for example, which is an optimization library uh, for calculating uh, heuristics within alignment computation. That's a GPL-based project. So that's only only usable in the public release. So in our private release, we, we don't connect to that. We don't use that because uh, that would force us to open it up. Personally, I would, of course, uh, prefer to open everything, but at the same time, uh, if we do that, then um, it gets very difficult for us to also try to attract uh, industry uh, or funding for that matter. It's, it's an economical uh, requirement. Okay. And if you would list or yeah, just enumerate them, some things that currently are um, confidently there already, like, for example, from... Uh, Okay, starting from import, export, then process discovery, then alignments, uh, predictions. Like, w what is there in the library that uh, anyone who wants to do something can? Okay, ah, actually, I can try that for my purpose. Uh, well, it's a very long list. Um, so the private versus the public, uh, they are like a mirror when it comes to um, functionality. Uh, so it's not that we are holding a lot of functionality back or something like that. So, uh, for example, now we're doing a large refactoring and we're updating the documentation as well, trying to extend it. Um, so these type of things are typically the um, type of things that are not yet out in the public, but already there. Uh, when it comes to the functionalities, um, oof, there's like, uh, I actually have the source code in front of me right now. So let's go, let's go through it. Now, I mean, uh, you can import, um, logs that are either stored in CSV, XES or parquet files. You can also export them. You can import Petri nets. Um, there's support to generate process trees. Uh, there's support to um, transform process trees to Petrinets. I also wrote a script that transforms certain workflow nets back to process trees, if, if they happen to be process trees. Um, there is, in terms of algorithms, uh, we have the alpha miner. I think we also have the heuristics miner. I don't think we have causal nets in that sense. Um, Inductive miner, although the inductive miner is the one based on uh, the directly follows graph and not on the log. Um, and that has some consequences for um, for uh, the replay fitness property. Uh, but we're going to release the classical inductive miner very soon with all the fall throughs that were defined. Uh, we actually have uh, the log skeleton miner, which is... Uh, Minor that is not very known, which has won the process discovery challenge of the BPM uh, conference. You can mine transition systems like uh, in this transition system miner in PROM, but we didn't implement region theory yet. Also, we don't have ILP miner. Then in conformance checking, we have alignments and token-based replay. Um, there's also several things to simulate behavior from Petri nets, process trees, etc. We can compute replay fitness and precision. Simplicity metrics are there. Um, and then I would say there's a lot of visualizations of all these different things. 
mm-hmm. in a nutshell. And what about predictions and something? Like- uh, so prediction in, in particular is not so much there. Um, it also relates to what we discussed, like uh, to some degree, uh, I think these are also things that you should connect to alternative libraries where it doesn't make sense to reinvent the wheel. Uh, and I personally think that's also type of sort of the level that uh, that pm for pi should should be at you know this preprocessing algorithm library uh, but I think in the end we're not going within pm for pi going to build end-to-end um, solutions and what would you recommend to people who never try but want to try like where to start from should they start from the website about about this library? Uh, to be honest, I think that if you want to work with PM4Pi at the moment, because we don't have on our website some fancy getting started page where we also explain process mining, I think actually the best thing to do is to start with the Coursera MOOC or something, so that people get an or, or read the book written by um, by by by, Van, by Professor Van der Aals to get a basic understanding of what process mining is about, what are common data types and common process model types that, that we, we use. Before diving into um, PM4Pi, I actually read somewhere on some forum for, for uh, software engineers that uh, people liked the library, but at the same time that, um, that, that they were like complaining that, okay, if you have no clue about process mining, the documentation and the website will definitely not help you in understanding that. And they're right, uh, and this is completely a valid criticism. And uh, we are thinking of, um, I don't know, uh, trying to, to make that better. But at the same time, uh, you know, there's only 24 hours a day, <laughs> seven days a week. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's on our to-do list. Um, but yeah, so, so definitely um, the MOOC helps. Uh, to to understand the concepts uh, a bit better. Yeah. Mm, then uh, actually, I wanted to ask you questions not related to PM for Pi. Uh, okay, one more question is: What is PM for Nive? What is that project? Uh, well, PM for Nive is a project that uh, is actually uh, exactly the same as uh, Rapid Prom was, but uh, it's just the same for Nive. Um, we gave it the same name because calling it Rapid Prom in a NIME environment was also not very very logical thing. Although PM for NIME, I would say is 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 a bit different. I mean, it's um, it's just intended to bring process mining algorithms in exactly the same way as Rap- Rapid Prom did for Rapid Miner. Uh, to the NIME world, um, it's it's a project that that's uh, having a bit less attention at the moment. Um, but I'm I'm trying to figure out ways to make that a bit more continuous. Um, the main idea there is that um, I think NIME is a bit easier to extend. Yeah, but what what is NIME? Like, can you explain a few words? Oh yeah, so NIME and and it's it's like the open source version of uh, Rapid Miner, and both are software packages, UI that have a, you know, um, 
emphasis on UI that allow you to design scientific workflows. That that's that's it. So so uh, and and I think the advantage of Nime is that it's it's uh, uh, it's more extend extendable. It's it's a truly open source uh, project. Uh, so if you would like to program something in Java, and you also want to uh, do large scale experiments, I think that's PM for Nime project might be a might be a good option to look at. Although we had a girl that uh, has developed that for us, um, so she did our ma her masters in our group uh, under my supervision, and then uh, she stayed for a few months uh, as a programmer in the group. So she primarily built it. I I, I just helped her out um, because I knew of the architecture of Rapid Prom, so I could you know help her wrapping around um, Prom um, because you need to know some. Uh, uh, gritty details of, of how that, that architecture works to, to be able to do so. So that's the, the context. And um, one more question is related to actually your interest, your research interest and PM4Py together. And that's the question is, uh, like, does library, uh, I'm going a little bit back, so the libraries like, or the software packages like Disco, they allow you to use um, like the, the software is very interactive and you can click on, uh, for example, different sliders, you can uh, make the model bigger, smaller, and with uh, PM4Py you uh, still need to rerun the code in order to uh, try different parameters, etc. And um, you're interested in interactive process discovery. So question is how do you do it on PM4Py and what do you actually mean and what's, what are your interests in that? Well, the interest in, in, in interactive discovery is uh, actually is reflected by one of uh, the publications of a PhD that I co-supervise. So he's working on that topic. Uh, he is publishing a paper in RCIS about this idea. Uh, in general, the idea is that um, these conventional process discovery algorithms, they take the data and they then try to learn a process model. Usually they first abstract the data a bit, so they compute some abstraction and then they do their magic and they try to find a model. Um, and, um, you know, I we all know uh, now that when you do that on real data, it's just not going to work unless you filter rigorously, etc. And then um, I realized at some point when I was applying, I had a data set or when I do these type of things and I'm when, when I'm trying to find a model that what I was actually doing I was I was interacting a lot more with the data so I was I was looking at the uh, first few variants that were most common in the log and I was comparing them and to give you a, a example uh, there's this public data set it's called road find traffic data set it contains um, sequential process behavior of a uh, this municipality in Italy that writes out, um, you know, fines to traffic violators. And there, I think the second or third most common trace is a trace where people don't pay, right? It's, it's, and, and any algorithm, um, and even if you have the most fancy pre-processing and filtering techniques, because one of the research lines that I'm also cooperating on is, is more pre-processing of event data, they will never filter that out because it's so frequent. 
so when I started to you know applying that I, I noticed at some point like uh, all this this completely automated discovery is is like utopia and I don't believe in it um, because if you simply look at this log that the first thing you see and this is a very commonly used log is that the second or third most common execution of this process is actually no the execution where no one paid in the end which is obviously not what you want to have in any model that reflects the process you might want to know that it happened but it it's not something that you want to show and then i thought of um so the approach that i started to take is okay i take this i take a variant or i take two variants i learn a model and then i repair that model with new behavior i want to add to the model and that sparked my interest in creating some semi-automated uh, discovery algorithms where instead of, you know, pushing the data directly to the algorithm, you, you push a subset that, that you're very confident of uh, that, that it's correct and it's sort of complete to create some seed, some base model, and then you're going to iteratively feed some repair strategy, new behavior that you want to add to that model. But when you do that at the same time, uh, you can already ask the user like, hey, in, because we have this conformance checking technique, so when we look at new behavior out of the process, we can already say, okay, in so many cases, this activity that, that's now in the model was skipped. And you can directly ask the user, uh, do you think this is okay or not? And if the user says, uh, yeah, you can skip it, I can repair that, and the model gets revised. And if, if he says, no, it's wrong, okay, then I will not repair the model. And I directly give the user the feedback that there's something not going right. Um, a second advantage of this type of, of, of discovery would be that um, this label splitting problem where and the most common example I use when I explain it to students is that sometimes I shower in the morning and sometimes I shower in the evening. It depends. If I did some sports, maybe I shower in the evening. If I didn't do sports, maybe I shower in the morning. And the point is that if you now make a model of daily life, um, you know, the, the activities you perform on a day-to-day -day basis, it's not very likely that you're going to model showering, the showering activity, as one activity in your model. It's very likely that given the morning context, in the morning you would model a shower activity that you can optionally skip, and in the evening as well. And if you do this repair-based approach, where you iteratively try to say, okay, this new behavior doesn't make sense, in some cases the 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 replay will already tell you okay this shower activity that i've seen in the evening or this later in the trace um it, if i push it in front i have to redo everything i have to redo my breakfast because i showered in the evening so it also provides you with label splitting for free so that's a little uh, sales pitch for uh, why i think everyone should focus on uh, interactive process discovery and not on fully automated process discovery um, there's a bit more other problems, you know, like the fact that we only have uh, positive examples and I don't even think we have positive examples. We have examples of which we don't know whether they are positive or negatives. Uh, but anyways, um, that's my personal belief that if we want to push even industry further in using, you know, these inductive minor based models, we have to at least make sure that these discovery algorithms get better. When it comes to PM4Pi, um, this is also why we built ourselves a front end on top. So it's very likely that in this first you know, paper that we've written, uh, we're doing this repair somehow automatically.
So we're just taking the strategy and just looking at, okay, doing iteratively applying certain repair strategies on inductive minor-based models. Does it give better models? And in some cases it does, and in some cases it doesn't, as to be expected. Uh, but in later stages, I, I really hope that in one of the projects that uh, we hope to conduct in the nearby future, we are actually able to sit together with the process owners and then apply in real life, you know, uh, apply this, this uh, vision that I just sketched. Um, and then PM4Pi, yeah, okay, uh, in, within PM4Pi, of course, the discovery part will be there and most likely the repair part will be there. But the interactivity we will build on top. In a, but one thing I have to mention, though, about our um, this, this thing that we build on top, um, I aim to release it as a standalone, uh, because it's a web-based tool, but I aim to release it as a standalone uh, tool for free for anyone in the world. However, it can be that the legal side of things, you know, from uh, my employer point of view, does not allow me to do so. So I have to verify uh, whether we are allowed to do that. But if that is within the realm of what is allowed, then I would gladly do that. Uh, so it would be like a similar tool-like prompt. Um, nice. On top of the info pie, yeah. So let's look forward for that. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, then actually I'm out of... Uh, pressing questions and I will ask you to, to send me any links and any resources also maybe about the last uh, this interactive discovery that you just talked about yeah. and yeah thank you very much for the interview it was very nice yeah, to talk to you, you. yeah uh, it was nice to uh, be part of the podcast I, uh, I like to listen to it as well so uh, I think I listened to all the episodes so uh, nice. yes it was very nice to uh, Talk to you, yeah. Thank you for listening for this episode of A Side of Data. In case you have questions, follow them to asideofdata at protonmail.com or reach us at Twitter at asideofdata. Subscribe for more episodes in the future.